Well, good morning. If you have a Bible and you'll open it to Matthew chapter 13, we continue our series on the parables of Jesus, which I have so enjoyed. And we have two short parables to cover here, Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. And as you're turning there, let me just say thank you to the seminary community. We've been here for almost two years now, and you all have been so welcoming to us, and we're feeling more and more at home. So we're so happy to be here. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. Starting verse 31, he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you asking that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. We need, we desperately need spiritual understanding. We need you to open our eyes to see the truth that is in your word. Oh God, we pray that we would see Jesus Christ as glorious, as beautiful, as worth following again this morning. And we do pray, Father, that your kingdom would come, that your kingdom would come and it would come soon. Father, help me as I open your word. Help me to speak only what you want. Help me to glorify the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We pray this in the name of our triune God. Amen. Well, I want to begin with a story, a story about an athlete who decided to try his hand at making and selling shoes. So this goes very well with what Dr. Allen said about me. It was the 70s, uh, early 70s, and there were not many athletic shoes out there. But this individual needed a manufacturer. So he traveled to Japan all by himself on a dime. He had barely any money, so he spent all his money to travel to Japan to meet with a shoe manufacturing company. There was only one problem. He didn't have a company yet. He didn't have a company yet. So when he arrived in Japan, the manufacturing company looked at him and said, what company do you represent? And he blurted out, I represent Blue Ribbon Sports. Blue Ribbon Sports. The Japanese company signed a deal with him, and he was going to be the exclusive one who sold one of the shoes that they made. When he traveled back to the States, he actually created that company, because at that time they couldn't go on the internet and look up, does Blue Ribbon Sports actually exist? It did not at that time, but he started the company, he named it Blue Ribbon Sports. And he began to sell shoes out of the back of his car. So his first shipment was something like 20 or 50 shoes, and he would drive to track meets. He would talk to coaches and runners, and basically he'd fill up the back of his car, and he'd begin selling these shoes. But soon the shoes started to catch on. People started to really want this shoe. People started buying them. He couldn't keep up with the orders. It kept growing and growing and growing. No longer could the trunk of his car 
keep up with all the orders that he had to fulfill. Eventually, the company would expand to other sports, and a young basketball player in Chicago would sign a shoe deal with them that would change the company forever. This athlete was Phil Knight, and the company later changed its name to Nike. Nike is now valued at over $30 billion, but it started out of the back of Phil Knight's car. I tell this story not to equate the kingdom with Nike, although some of us might, but to illustrate the point of our passage. Often, what starts out small grows. Often, what starts out small grows. Jesus says in these parables that the kingdom is like this. Jesus' point in these parables is that though the kingdom and by extension, your ministry might look feeble, it is strong. Though it seems powerless, it will be powerful. Though it might look insignificant, its true nature is hidden, but will soon be revealed. These parables are meant to be an encouragement for those who might be wondering, is God at work? Is God at work? What is he doing? To show you this, I want to first look at the context, the context that these parables come in. These parables come in the midst of a string of Jesus' parables in Matthew chapter 13. But the question arises, why does Jesus tell the parables in Matthew 13, in Matthew 13? He bunches them all together in this one context here. And as you look at the surrounding context, you can see that he tells them here because Jesus' ministry has been met with rejection. It itself, Jesus' ministry, has seemed small and insignificant. We see this rejection in the context before Matthew 13. In Matthew 11 and 12, Israel's response to Jesus is largely negative. So at the beginning of chapter 11, John the Baptist is in prison. John the Baptist is in prison and he's wondering, Jesus, are you really the one who is coming? You've got to get inside his mind here. Why am I in prison? If you are truly the messianic king who has come, why am I in prison? So he asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Your ministry doesn't look like what I was expecting. Jesus then pronounces woes upon the towns that he's traveled through. He says, Capernaum, you haven't believed in me. I've done miracles in your city and you haven't believed in me. So he says, woe to you. The people ask for a sign from Jesus, but he refuses. They say, let us see something from you. We want to see power from you. He says, I'm not going to give you a sign. You're an unbelieving generation. The religious leaders in chapter 12, they actually claim that Jesus is in league with Satan. They say, you're doing works by the power of Beelzebul. So they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah that the kingdom has actually come. Jesus calls them, those that he's speaking to, an adulterous generation. They are an adulterous generation, tying them to those who wandered in the wilderness and died in the wilderness. They are not listening to Jesus' message. They're not listening to him. 
In summary, Jesus tells the parables in Matthew 13 because a lack of response or even a lack of success seemingly in Jesus' ministry. Even the disciples probably wonder about the nature of Jesus' ministry. By most measures, Jesus has a terrible marketing campaign. Although he gathers a crowd, often he's quite eager to send them away. He's like, half of you, go, go away, go home. And then oftentimes when he gathers a crowd, he actually goes off by himself. So the disciples must be thinking, Jesus is going about this all the wrong way. We expect the kingdom to look like something, and it seems like Jesus doesn't know what he's doing. It's because of the rejection and even confusion that swirls around Jesus' ministry that he stops and he explains to them the true nature of the kingdom. The kingdom and your ministry by extension might not be what you expect. It might not be what you expect. In Luke's telling of these parables, Jesus begins these parables by asking the question. He asks, what is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare it to? It's a grand question. What shall we compare the kingdom to? And again, to put ourselves in the minds of the disciples who knew the Old Testament, they must have been thinking, let's compare it to a mountain. A mountain, Isaiah 2.2 says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. Let's go back to our Old Testament. The kingdom is going to be this large mountain that conquers and has victory. So let's compare the kingdom to a mountain. Or they might be thinking... Let's compare the kingdom to a monumental governmental system. Isaiah 9.6 says, For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And what? The government will rest upon his shoulders. He's going to bring lasting peace. The dominion of this government will be vast and its prosperity will never end. In the Old Testament, there's going to be this new government system with the Messiah reigning over all. It's going to be like a mountain. It's going to be like this massive government system. Or, let's compare it to a large rock that conquers the rest of the kingdoms and grows and grows. Daniel 2.44 says, God will set up a kingdom that will never Ever be destroyed. This kingdom will bring an end to all other kingdoms. Only God's kingdom will stand. That's the expectations that they had. This is what the kingdom is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look big and grand and amazing. And Jesus says, No. No. Let's compare the kingdom to a mustard seed. Let's compare the kingdom to a mustard seed. Or let's compare the kingdom to a woman who uses a little bit of leaven in the bread to feed her whole community. 
Let's compare the kingdom to that. Jesus compares the kingdom not to a mountain, not to an army, not to a large conquering rock, but to a mustard seed that slowly grows into a tree. The mustard seed is extremely small. It takes about 750 of them to weigh even a gram in your hand. They're tiny, but it can also grow up to 10 to 20 feet tall and tower over other plants in the garden. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like. He also compares the kingdom to leaven or to yeast. Yeast is a tiny microorganism. It works in flour by producing a gas that causes the bread to rise. It feeds on sugars in the flour and expels carbon dioxide in the process. And with no place to go, this gas slowly fills the bread and makes it rise. In this parable, Jesus says the yeast or the leaven is mixed into 50 pounds of flour and it leavens the whole loaf. That's enough to feed a party of over 100 people. Jesus' point with both of these illustrations is that the kingdom will start out by looking small. It will start out by looking small, it will look insignificant. It will be hidden. It appears feeble, but it's remarkably active and all-pervading. It will grow, and it will conquer. It will become that large tree. But right now, it's a seed. It's yeast. I don't know about you, but I don't have much experience with agrarian life or cooking, for that matter. Although I do a little bit of barbecue on the side. But I do remember in my younger days, and maybe you remember this, how at school we would plant a bean seed in a small cup and put it by the window and water it and wait. And then a week later, you would see a tiny sprout. And then another week later, you'd see more sprouts. And then another week later, you'd see more, and then it'd all die. It's typically how it worked. Jesus says... The kingdom is like this, just not the death, right? It's like this. It's something you have to wait for. His word, the seeds, if you're following the flow of these parables, the seed is Jesus's word. The seed will go into the ground and it will seem hidden, but soon it will grow taller than all of the garden plants and become a tree that the birds of the sky rest in. All nations, the image here is that all nations will come to this tree. His word is like leaven that's mixed into flour and causes the whole loaf to rise. The kingdom will be that mountain that's higher than any mountain. It will be that monumental governmental system. It will be that rock that grows. But it will start out as a simple message. A simple message that Jesus has come to die for you and me. And that will enter people's hearts, and it will grow. It will grow. The small agent doesn't equal a small ending. It will be a slow reformation. A slow reformation. It won't proceed, the kingdom won't proceed with heavenly armies, but with earthly disciples. 
in all their weakness, in all their flaws. It won't declare victory over Rome, but it will advance in a healing touch and in a proclamation that blessed are the meek. It seems weak. It seems insignificant. Jesus' point is that the kingdom is here. Yes, it's here, but it's hidden. It's growing slowly. One day, it will cover the whole earth. It's a very simple point. Both of these parables, I think, communicate largely the same thing. But in our remaining time, I want to speak to our seminary community and give you three points of application based on what we've seen. So it's a simple point. This is what Jesus is getting at with the kingdom. Now let's turn to some application in terms of how does this affect how we move forward? So first, don't be discouraged. These parables teach us, don't be discouraged by small, slow, and ordinary work. Don't be discouraged by small, slow, and ordinary work. Did you know that the average church size in America is 65 people? That is what many of your ministries will look like. The reality is, whether you're a pastor, missionary, counselor, or whatever it might be in ministry, you might not see the growth that you really long for. I was just in Portland a few weeks ago talking to a church planner. He had about 100 people before COVID. Now his church is at about 25 members. He told me he's gone through a long time of feeling down about this. What should I do? And while he still longs to see more people come, he's committed himself to serving the people that God has given him for the time. Jesus affirms with these parables, ministry will often be a slow reformation. A slow reformation. As Mark Dever has said, gospel ministry, like parenting, is urgent but slow work. Gospel ministry, like parenting, is urgent but slow work. It takes time, sometimes decades, to see the fruit of your work. I don't know if you've heard the story of Mr. Luke Short from the late 17th century and early 18th century. Luke was an unconverted man living in New England. It was when he was 100 years old, while working on his farm, that he remembered a sermon from 85 years ago from John Flavel back in England. While reflecting on this sermon, 85 years later, God saved him. Flavel's ministry, 85 years later, was still producing fruit. I can't even remember the sermon I preached last week, so this guy must have an amazing memory to remember 85 years later. But Jesus says kingdom ministry will often be like this. Growth might not come immediately, but growth will come It will come. The kingdom will be that tree. Zach Eswine in his book, The Imperfect Pastor, puts it this way. As you enter ministry, you will be tempted to orient your desires towards doing large things in famous ways as fast and as efficiently as you can. But take note, a crossroads waits for you. Jesus is at that crossroad. Because almost anything This is key. Almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. An example of this, another example of this, is Gregory the Great's The Book of Pastoral Rule, written around 590. 
I don't know if you've seen this manual, but it's actually stood the test of time with its abundance of pastoral wisdom. But do you know what caused Gregory to write this? Why did Gregory write his book of pastoral rule? He wasn't looking to get famous. He wasn't looking to take the market in terms of books on pastoral wisdom. The book of pastoral rule was written from one pastor to another in response to a question. Gregory was writing to one person. In modern terms, Gregory got an email from another pastor, and he wrote him an 185-page book in response. I'm not sure that's what that pastor was expecting, but that's where we get that book. And we might wonder, wouldn't it have been better to use Gregory's time to speak at large gatherings, to write a book for the masses and not one individual, to spend time with the movers and the shakers? But Gregory understood the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's like a mustard seed. It means doing small things with faithfulness. Most of you will labor in relative obscurity, largely unseen and unnoticed. And these parables tell us, embrace the small, slow, and ordinary work. So what does kingdom ministry look like? Jesus says, while we might think it looks like speaking at all the big conferences, it looks more like serving in nursery and holding crying babies. Well, it might seem like it looks like going overseas and planning hundreds of churches and seeing thousands of people come to know the Lord, and these are all good things. It might look more like bringing a meal to a new family in town. It might look more like picking up that older saint for church who doesn't have a ride. Well, we might think the kingdom looks like meeting with all the leaders. Jesus says, It might look more like going up to that person at church who no one's talking to and saying hi and greeting them. So don't be discouraged by small, slow, and ordinary kingdom work. This is what Jesus' ministry looked like. They were questioning him, wondering, what are you doing? I thought you were the Messiah. He says, let me compare the kingdom to a mustard seed. Second, this text reminds us not to add supplements to make ministry more effective. Not to add supplements to make ministry more effective. Often we're tempted when the work seems slow, when it seems small, to add enhancements to our ministry. We have, as one person put it, an oak tree perspective of ministry rather than a mustard seed perspective. We try to microwave our ministry to know the tips and tricks, to be up on the latest research or fads, to grow quickly. But Jesus says, kingdom ministry is more like a slow cooker. It's going to take time. To put this another way, speed bumps in your ministry might be sent from God himself, and you shouldn't seek to fly over them. Like, I don't want to be slowed down. When the speed bumps come, the desire will be to change the strategy. This isn't working. To see results. To say what people want to hear. To gather a crowd. To seek applause. To plant this many churches. To see this many baptisms. We crave instant significance. We crave instant success and results. And Jesus himself was tempted with this. Remember when the devil came to him in Matthew 4. And he said, you can have all the kingdoms of the earth right now. Right now, you can have them. Just bow down before me. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to take the slow, 
painful, suffering road to the cross, and I will be given all the kingdoms of the earth, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. But the devil said, you can have it now. And Jesus said, no, that's not how ministry is going to go. That's not how the kingdom works. Most of ministry is slow and invisible work. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Will you trade your pastoral birthright for a mess of pottage that provides the immediate satisfaction of discernible results? Or are you willing to live in the midst of ambiguities of a congregation in which growth is mostly slow and invisible? God works by his word. The seed, the yeast is his word that goes deep into people's hearts. And it'll take time to flower and to grow. And we know from the rest of the scriptures that God's speed is actually very, usually very slow. Look through the whole Old Testament. God loves to work in slow ways. This is his, the way he operates. Abraham waited for 25 years after the promise for a child. Can you imagine? You're going to have a child. I'm way too old. Well, you will, just in 25 years. Just wait around a little bit. 25 years. Noah's worked for years on the ark, promised that rain's coming. He just kept working on it. Joseph spent two years in prison. We read it in like one chapter, right? Two, can you imagine two years? He must have been thinking, is this the plan for me? Like I had these dreams that my brothers were going to bow down before me and I'm sitting here in prison for two years. Israel labored in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years. Can you imagine And they must have been thinking, where is God? What is he doing? What is he up to? Hannah waited her whole life for a child. Israel waited in exile for decades until they were able to return home. God's Messiah didn't come to earth for 2,000 years. And now we've been waiting for Jesus' return for 2,000 years plus. Don't evaluate your ministry with the wrong yardstick. We know That numerical growth is good. It's good. But so is growth in gospel culture and holiness. These parables remind us to not seek to manufacture growth by walking away from Jesus' clear means of ministry. The kingdom doesn't need your supplements. Jesus doesn't need your add-ons. He doesn't need your little ways of going about things. You are simply errand boys and girls for Jesus. All you have to offer people is Christ through word, sacrament, ordinance, and deed. That's all you have to offer people. And you, you present Jesus to them in the word and let the word do its work. And it might seem slow. It's these that we are called to be faithful to. It's these that Jesus himself was faithful to. Don Carson writes of his father, Tom, in his book, Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor, testifying to how Tom, his father, didn't seek to add supplements to his ministry. This is what he says towards the end of the book about his father, Tom. Tom Carson never rose far in denominational structures. But hundreds of people testify how much he loved them. When he died, there were no crowds outside the hospital, no editorial comments in the papers, no announcements on the television, no mention in the parliament, no attention paid by the nation. In his hospital room, there was no one by his bedside. 
There was only the quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting because he had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, all the trumpets sounded. On the other side, all the trumpets sounded. Dad won an entrance to the only throne room that matters. Not because he was a good man or a great man. He was, after all, a most ordinary pastor. But because he was a forgiven man. And he heard the voice of him who he longed to hear, saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Friends, don't add supplements to your ministry. Let God do his work in his way and in his timing. Let the word do the work. Finally, this, tells, this text tells us, dare to hope. Dare to hope. All the stats in America say Christianity is shrinking. There was just a few weeks ago a report from the American Enterprise Institute that said that though churches are opening back up, many Americans aren't coming back. They're not coming back to church. Formative religious experiences that were once common, such as saying a prayer or attending Sunday school, have become the exception rather than the norm. If you're just looking at the wider culture, it seems like we're losing people to the culture, to secularism, to alternative worldviews. Sometimes I even wonder, what's the legacy of my generation? What will be the legacy of our generation? So you had people who were part of the Great Awakenings. Oh, what, what a great time to be alive, to see so many people come to faith. Even the generation before us witnessed a great resurgence in biblical teaching. Conferences grew up. Websites grew up. But will the story of our generation be that we had lost what had been gained? That I was put here during a time when the church shrank rather than grew. It's kind of depressing to start thinking about it in that way. But this text reminds us there's no such thing as a Christian pessimist. It's a contradiction in terms. Christi Christians by nature are hopeful people. The kingdom is not only a mustard seed, but a mustard seed that grows into a tree that all nations will come and rest under. The kingdom and the church, according to Jesus, will not fail. The gates of hell will not overcome God's plan. Nothing can stop the kingdom from moving forward. When Mark Dever was asked to lead the church at Capitol Hill years ago now, it was a dying and dwindling church. One person recommended that he not take the church, and this is what they said to him. They said, what if you go here and the church simply fails? It looks like it's on its way out. And Mark replied, the church will not fail. God has promised to build his church. The church does not lose. This congregation may die, but God's promise for his church does not. The Christian gospel in most measurable ways is small. It's small. How does a Sunday school lesson on flannel boards compare to the great philosophies of the day? But it's this message that has actually entered into, I hope, your heart and radically changed your life. That's a picture. You're a picture of how the word sinks deep into our hearts and it changes us and it will grow. 
So though the Christian circumstances look dire, though the news stories continue to come out about the decline of Christianity, though your ministry seems to have little fruit, dare to hope, dare to hope. The kingdom will be a large tree. It is leaven that will leaven the whole lump. In all of this, we're following our Savior. We're following our Savior, Jesus. As the disciples knew full well, Jesus' coming was not impressive. That's why he told them these parables. They're like, what are you doing? This isn't what we expected. Jesus wasn't born in a castle. He was born in a manger. He wasn't greeted by kings. He was greeted by shepherds. He didn't live with the ruling class. No, he, he lived with a conquered people. He didn't live a life of luxury. He was a working class man. He didn't accumulate wealth. He had no place to lay his head. His own hometown thought he was too ordinary. Yeah, we know this guy. We know his mom and dad. And when it came time for him to die... He died in a most shameful way on a Roman cross. But it was on this cross that what seemed like the most calamitous defeat was the most explosive victory for the kingdom. Why does Paul write in terms of the word strength in weakness? Because he's looking at his Savior and he's saying, yes, although it seems weak, that's where power actually lies. And while Jesus came taking the form of the servant, we know who he actually is. He's the only son of God, begotten from the Father before ages, all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. Jesus' ministry by the world's standards was not impressive. Our ministry, by the world's standards, it's not impressive. But Jesus says, this, this is the secret of the kingdom of heaven. It's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. Though it may seem small, it will grow. The word will do its work. The word will do its work. The kingdom has expanding power and will burst every bond and cast away every shadow. Its future is great and nothing can stop it from moving forward. So don't despair of slow, small, and ordinary ministry. Jesus says the kingdom will win. The church will win. We can find comfort in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement we have in this text. We thank you that we can press forward because Jesus has promised, Jesus has promised us that the kingdom will move forward. So God, we pray that you would help us. Give us grace. Give us perseverance. Give us hope. We need these things by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.